morning. Uh, today's scripture will be 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. That is 1 Kings 17, uh, 1 through 7. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord of God Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall, be, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here, and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded that the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of, of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook of Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat into the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had not been rain in the land. Before we get before we get I have concluded that the audio system here hates me. Before we get started, I want to remind those of you who have children that we're going to have an opportunity immediately after this service to take some uh, some gifts to three local fire stations. We made some appreciation banners at VBS uh, a couple weeks ago, and we're going to, or we're going to take those to the uh, firehouses, and we've got some goodie bags for them of some things they can snack on when they're, when they're on call and they're out making runs. And, and so if you're willing to go with us, we'd love to have some families join us this afternoon. We're going to meet in the uh, upper room immediately after services. We're going to split up into groups, and we're going to go to three fire stations and just real quick, take these uh, banners and these appreciation bags and, and deliver them. You will be required to wear a mask at the fire station, so please be aware of that. But we'd love for any families, any, anyone can join us. It's not limited to children and families, but we'd love to have some kids who did especially contribute to the project be, be able to go as well. So please consider joining us today for that. With that being said, I have learned that one of my favorite television genres is survival shows. I love shows. Now, I'm not talking about fictional survival. I love real-life survival shows. So, for over the past uh, two weeks, I have been watched the most recent season of a show called Alone. I really enjoy the show Alone. Here's the premise of it, if you've never heard of it. it uh, they take 10 contestants, they drop them off in the middle of nowhere, they have 10 items they're allowed to bring with them from a select list, and they're told whoever survives the longest wins. I mean, that's the premise of the show. It is just survival, and you're hoping to win a certain amount of money by staying out in the Arctic longer than anyone else. In fact, the guy that just won this last season, he won after the uh, ninth contestant dropped out due to frostbite. So that's the kind of survival show that I'm talking about. And I don't know what my interest with this, these shows is, because the last time I went camping was nearly a decade ago. And when I talk about camping, unless it's in a tent or, 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 or uh, less accommodations, it's not camping. You get into an RV, you're not camping anymore. You're living, you're living life large, because your RV is bigger than my first apartment. But camping is not something I do. 
I don't own any of the equipment that these people carry out into the wilderness. I don't have any expectations of dropping myself in the North Georgia mountains and trying to survive for a while. I'm an indoors guy for the most part. I don't know what my fascination is with these type shows, but I love them. Maybe I think one day if I get trapped somewhere, I'll have some recall of memory and all of a sudden I'll be surviving in the wilderness because I watched this show 10 years ago. I don't know. I love survival shows. And I've been reflecting on that as we enter this next chapter in the life of Elijah because Elijah's next step is survival. See, we're we're entering a phase of Elijah's life where he has to enter the wilderness and he has to survive. You know, last week we saw that Elijah boldly and unexpectedly appeared before King Ahab. And if you look at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, he said, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And when he said that, when he declared that, when he stood before Ahab, and said that, he announced a theological war between the God of Israel and the God of Jezebel. He said, my God is the true God. Your God is a false God, and we're going to prove it. And after doing that, you would think, after, after making that proclamation, after stirring that pot, you would think it would be time for him to assemble the followers of God and, and start a campaign against the government. You might think it was time for him to be preaching and prophesying throughout the nation of Israel. You would think it was time for him to go very public with his ministry. But God ended Elijah's public ministry after just one sentence. Because look at verse 2 of 1 Kings chapter 17. Starting in verse 2 and going through verse 4, we find out that God instructed Elijah to go to the brook Cherith, or Cherith Ravine, as another translation says. And he was going to have to survive there for a time. Now here's what you need to know about Cherith. Cherith is in the middle of nowhere. It's smack dab in the middle of the wilderness. Pictured on the screen is one of the traditional sites associated with Cherith. Now this picture was taken in 1934, and through the middle, there's a little crevice in the ground where the stream is located. And if you look closely to the left, there's a, there's a trail that runs along this left side of the screen, and there's a man standing on the trail. Now this picture, there's no way to be certain it's the correct location. But it at least gives us a sense of what Elijah's new home would have looked like. It was barren. It was lonely. It was inhospitable. It was uncomfortable. It wasn't the place you wanted to be. And some of us know what the wilderness feels like. Not because you've gone camping or hiking in a physical wilderness, but because you have or you are enduring a spiritual wilderness. Maybe your wilderness was triggered by the loss of a loved one, and you're battling a loneliness that you could never have imagined, and you're not sure how you're going to be whole 
again. Maybe your wilderness was triggered by a financial setback and now you're barely getting by and you're left wondering how you're going to recover. Maybe your wilderness was triggered by a medical diagnosis and you're facing a treatment or a procedure that's not going to be comfortable and you're not sure how you're going to endure it. Maybe your wilderness was triggered by a family crisis, a, a, a failing marriage, a, an unfaithful child, a disapproving parent. And as a result, your home is a very inhospitable place and you're not sure how your family is going to stay intact. I'm sure all of us have experienced the wilderness in our own way, shape, and form at some point in our life we have to ask ourselves when we enter the wilderness is why? Why does God send people to the wilderness? And today we're going to look at why he sent Elijah to the wilderness right after initiating his ministry. And from Elijah's story, we might come to understand our own a little bit better. So I want to start with this. Why did God send Elijah to the wilderness? There are two basic reasons why. The first is that God sent Elijah to the wilderness to protect him. And what we can draw from that is that God sends people to the wilderness for their own protection at times. So think about Elijah's situation. You can look at verse 3 of 1 Kings chapter 17, and you'll see that he is specifically instructed to go to this location and hide. Elijah was sent to the wilderness to hide. That means Elijah was sent to the wilderness so that he could stay alive. We find out in 1 Kings chapter 18 that ever since it became apparent that his no-rain prophecy was working, Jezebel had begun executing the prophets of Yahweh, 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 3. And verse 10 of 1 Kings chapter 18 informs us that Ahab had been sending search parties out into every neighboring country to try to locate Elijah. His life is on the line. And God sends him to the wilderness to hide from Ahab during the earliest parts of this drought. The drought that Elijah had prayed for and prophesied about. Now, I have to admit that being sent to the wilderness for protection sounds a little backwards. For most of us, the wilderness is a less safe place than where we normally reside. But God often operates in ways that don't make sense to us because, because we can't see the entire picture that He can see. Take the Exodus, for example. Keep your mark in 1 Kings chapter 17, but jump backwards to Exodus chapter 13 for just a moment. It's in Exodus chapter 13 that the Israelites are finally gaining momentum in their exodus from Egypt. And in verse, chapter 13, verses 17 and 18, we're told that God did not lead the Israelites by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. 
Skipping down a little bit in verse 18, we find out that God instead led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And why did God do that? Basically, what Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 and 18 is telling us is that God decided not to take the quick way between Egypt and Canaan. He decided to take the long, detoured, scenic route through the Red Sea. Why? Why did God take them through the wilderness? Well, it's because God knew that the Israelites had endured tremendous hardship during their Egyptian bondage. They were already physically and emotionally exhausted when their journey to the promised land began. And God knew that it would not take much for their depleted strength and broken spirits to potentially result in a quick retreat. So God chose to take them on the route with the least amount of obstacles. This is evident in the text's description of God's concern that the people might change their minds when they see war and as a result want to return to Egypt. That's stated there in verse 17 of Exodus 13. You see, God in His infinite wisdom and His abundant mercy, He did not allow the burden of war to be placed on these people before they were ready for it. He loved them enough. He loved them enough to protect them from an obstacle that he knew they were not ready to endure. So he sent them by way of the wilderness so that war would be delayed and their strength could be renewed. This means that God's decision to send Israel to the wilderness was an act of love because he did, he did it to protect them. He did it to keep them from facing something they weren't ready for. We may not understand all of God's ways, but one thing we can be certain about. God is love. And everything He does falls under the umbrella of His love for us. So sometimes God places us in the wilderness because it's for our own protection, a protection we may not even be able to perceive in the moment. But that's not the only reason God sends people to the wilderness. God also sends people to the wilderness to prepare them. Now this makes a little more sense to us because we see it all the time in the movies. I mean, think about it. When it came time for Luke Skywalker to be trained by Yoda as a Jedi, where did he go? The wilderness of Dagobah. Or think about Rocky, Rocky IV. When it came time to face Ivan Drago. Where did he go? To the wilderness of Russia, training in a remote cabin, using nothing man-made. Or when it came time for Harry, Ron, and Hermione to figure out how to destroy horcruxes, where did they apparate to? And yes, those are all real words. I had to do a little bit of research to correctly say that. But when they needed to learn how to destroy horcruxes, they transported themselves to the wilderness. But does God use the wilderness like the movies? Does He have a purpose of preparation 
that the wilderness offers like we see in film. Think about it. Before Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, where was he for 40 years? According to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1, he was keeping the flock of his father-in-law in the wilderness. Or before David ascended to the throne of Israel, he had been anointed, but before he obtained the throne, where was he? Running from Saul in the wilderness. Between 1 Samuel chapter 23 and chapter 26, you'll find David in the wilderness of Ziph, the wilderness of Maon, the wilderness of Engedi, the wilderness of Paran, and back in the wilderness of Ziph. Even think about Jesus. Before he began his ministry, where does Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1 tell us he was led to? Led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. See, for God, the wilderness is where he is able, as one preacher said, to do a work in someone before he does a work through someone. This is especially evident when, when you once again consider the Israelites' wilderness experience. Before the children of Israel entered the promised land, Moses had some words for them in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 11, he says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God. In verse 15 he says, The God who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. And in verse 16 he says, Here's the reason you don't need to forget him. So that he might, or excuse me, this is the reason he led you through the wilderness. So that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. See, God takes the wilderness or excuse me, God takes us and puts us in the wilderness sometimes because he's preparing us for something. And certainly that's the case for Elijah. So, so when Elijah arrives at his wilderness headquarters, we're not surprised that it will afford him an opportunity for preparation. In fact, the term cherith, this location, the name of this location comes from a Hebrew word that means to cut off or to cut down. It's likely a reference to this location being a ravine-like gorge that cut its way through the land. But its name is significant because this wilderness location was going to be the place where Elijah is cut off from society and also where he'll be cut down to size, so to speak, in order to learn the lessons that would be necessary for him to succeed at God's mission. So what I want to do with the rest of our time today is consider what lessons Elijah needed to learn and in fact what lessons you and I can learn from the wilderness. And I believe the first lesson the wilderness will teach us is contentment. The wilderness teaches us to be content. Now, to really appreciate what Elijah is going through, we need to pay attention to Elijah's dining options. Look again at God's instructions in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 2-4. through 4. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. You see, Elijah's meals weren't going to be delivered by Uber, or DoorDash, or Grubhub. Elijah's meals are going to be brought to him by birds, 
but not just any birds, specifically by ravens. And the Israelites did not particularly like ravens. See, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 11 or Deuteronomy chapter 14, you'll read the list of the animals the Israelites are not allowed to eat. In fact, in that list, you'll read about animals they're not even allowed to touch. Among that list are some birds. And one of the birds specifically identified, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 15, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 14, ravens. Ravens were deemed unclean by God, and unclean animals are those animals that Israelites weren't allowed to eat, and under certain conditions weren't even allowed to touch. Now think about why ravens made the list. The reason is because, for the most part, they're animals that carry diseases. Ravens, in particular, are scavenger birds. They'll eat anything. In fact, that's where our word ravenous comes from. If I say I'm ravenous, then I'm saying I'll eat anything right now because I'm so hungry. I'll eat like a raven. Ravens will eat anything. And much of what they eat, because they're scavengers, was dead before they got to it. So think about Elijah's meal options. Maybe God has so controlled these ravens that they're picking up some cheesecake and dropping it off. Or maybe God's just letting the ravens be ravens and they're dropping off roadkill to Elijah. Either way, Elijah's not getting to choose from a menu what he wants that day. He's taking whatever these filthy animals are placing in his lap in the morning and in the evening. And the amazing thing about Elijah is that not once do we read that he complained about his food. Here he is living alone in the wilderness, eating roadkill delivered to him by ravens, and he's okay with that. And his contentment with this situation is significant because contentment demonstrates our gratitude toward God. You see, sometimes God sends us to the wilderness because we need to learn contentment. The Israelites spent 40 years wandering through the wilderness, and during that time, a generation of them were constantly complaining. They complained about the insufficiency of their water. They complain about the food options they had. They complain about the lack of comfort they experienced in comparison to Egypt. They complained about every little thing. And you get to the New Testament, and you go to the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and we're told, don't be like the Israelites. Because they lacked gratitude. They didn't appreciate the fact that God was taking them out of a life of bondage and into a life of freedom and a land flowing with milk and honey. They complained constantly. And in so doing, they told God they didn't appreciate what he had done for them. That's the problem with complaining. Complaining is a form of ungratefulness since it dwells on the disappointments and the difficulties rather than the blessings and the opportunities. 
And so the wilderness has the ability to teach us to be grateful for what we have. And when we're grateful for what we have, we're finally able to fulfill the will of God. Since 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18 instructs us to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So you might be in the wilderness right now, and it might be that you need to learn contentment while you're in the wilderness. It might be that you need to learn to be thankful for everything the Lord has done for you and will do for you. That might be part of your wilderness experience. It may have been part of Elijah's as well. But contentment is not the only lesson the wilderness teaches. The wilderness also teaches us obedience. I've mentioned this before, but there is a big difference between believing in God and believing God. To believe in someone is an idiomatic way of expressing belief in their existence. But to believe someone means to accept what he or she says as valid, as accurate, as credible. See, most people believe in God, but they don't believe God. I've come to that conclusion, and do you know how? I've come to that conclusion because believing in God doesn't require obedience, but believing God does. And sometimes the only way God can test the strength of our obedience is by sending us to the wilderness. Elijah has shown that he's willing to do bold things for God. He took a courageous stand when he entered Ahab's presence and essentially announced that Ahab's god, Baal, was an imposter and that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the one true God. So God knows that Elijah will obey when there's a stage and when there's an audience. And what God needed to know is whether or not Elijah would remain obedient when there's no spotlight when there's no spectators, when there's no perceived significance. God needed to know whether Elijah could be obedient in the small matters just as, obedient, just as he was obedient in the big matters. Because sometimes it's easier to be obedient when it's a big deal than it is when it's a small deal. You ever experienced that? I imagine if you've been a parent, you've experienced that. Because kids are really good at obeying on the big things. Hey, if you do this, we'll get you some ice cream. If you do this, we'll have this opportunity for you. But when it comes down to the little things, hey, we expect this of you every day or every week. This is your responsibility. Or you give them that instruction and five minutes later they haven't moved yet. See, obedience to big things can be easy sometimes. It can be much more difficult when you have to be obedient to the small things. So Elijah was sent to the wilderness, and, but surviving in the wilderness would not necessarily be easy. Based on the description of the wilderness experience of Elijah, 
It was going to require isolation. He was sent there to hide, which means he was intentionally going to disconnect from society. It required discomfort. He was going to be living outdoors by a creek, not in a walled and roofed residence. And it certainly was going to require dependence because he was going to be trusting God to provide his meals for him. And there was no necessary, there was no one going to see Elijah's obedience other than God. No one was going to know what Elijah was doing for God at the brook Cherith. No one's going to see Elijah's obedience like they would when he walked in the palace of Ahab and he announced that Baal was a fraud. No one's going to see this obedience down at the creek. So it would be very easy to not obey. But if you look at 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 5, we're told that Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. And Elijah's obedience in this situation is important because it demonstrated his love for God. Do you remember what Jesus said about keeping his commandments? John chapter 14 and verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, our obedience is directly connected to our love. And so sometimes God sends us to the wilderness to give us the opportunity to show him how much we love him, just as he showed us how much he loved us by sending his son to die for. Elijah's obedience at the brook Cherith may not have been as easy as his obedience to stand before Ahab. But it was a way for him to show God just how much he loved God. And your obedience does the same. And the wilderness can teach you that. The wilderness can also teach you patience. Now, you may not want to learn patience, but the wilderness is certainly going to teach it to you. See, one thing that stands out to me about Elijah's story is what we're told in verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 of 1 Kings 17 says, The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. One thing that I find interesting about God's food delivery service for Elijah is that he ordered the ravens to just bring him one meal at a time. Maybe that was to make sure it was as fresh as it could be. Maybe that was to see if Elijah could wait for the next one. See, when Elijah ate that meal in the morning, there was no more food until the ravens showed up again in the evening. They didn't bring him a weekly stockpile of food. They brought him one meal at a time. So Elijah had to patiently and prayerfully wait to see if the ravens would return the next time his stomach started to growl. On top of that, we find out that 
Eventually, the brook Elijah depended on for water dried up. That means that every day he was out there in the wilderness, he watched that brook get a little smaller, a little shallower, a little emptier. And Elijah knew that without rain, he was eventually going to run out of water too. And yet, God hadn't told him what the backup plan was for when his brook went dry. But here's the thing about Elijah. The text never indicates that he worried about whether or not the ravens would show up with the next meal or that he fretted about the brook drying up. I don't get the impression that he didn't, that I don't get the impression that he grew impatient when the birds didn't show up by 6 p.m. to drop off that night's dinner. I don't get the impression that he grew impatient with God as he drew his last drink out of that brook. See, it's important to notice that when the ravens flew away and the brook dried up, Elijah didn't leave Cherith. He waited on direction from the Lord. From the Lord. Elijah didn't leave the wilderness until verse 10. The brook's drying up in verse 7, but he doesn't leave until verse 10 after he received direction from God. And Elijah's patient wait was a big deal because it demonstrated his trust in God. You see, waiting is ultimately about trusting. When you wait, you're showing that you're not in control and you trust the one who is. I think that's why David wrote so much about waiting. Journey through the Psalms. And look at how often David said something about waiting. Psalm 25, verse 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Psalm 38, verse 15. For you, O Lord, do I wait it is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Psalm 62, and verse 1. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. In all of those passages, David emphasized waiting. And he seems to be saying that waiting is how we can show God that we trust in His way. And sometimes God sends us to the wilderness so that we can learn to trust Him more. See, there's a lot we can learn from the wilderness. We can learn contentment. We can learn obedience. We can learn patience. And I'm sure there's more we could have discussed today if time allotted. It might be that like Elijah, you're in the wilderness Here's the big question for you. How do you respond when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're still in the wilderness? If you are doing exactly what God has told you to do and you find yourself in the wilderness, don't get hung up on the question, why am I here? Get hung up on the question, what God, 
are you wanting me to learn right now? Because God uses the wilderness to protect and prepare us. See, God's got something big in store for Elijah. He's preparing Elijah for Mount Carmel, where he will defeat Baal, where he will initiate a nationwide revival, where he will set in motion the eventual downfall of Ahab and Jezebel. But Elijah wasn't quite ready quite ready for that assignment yet. I like the way one author described Elijah's wilderness survival experience. He pointed out that at the start of 1 Kings 17, Elijah was a spokesman for God, but he was not yet truly a man of God. You see, he didn't receive that title until the end of the chapter in verse 24, after he survived the wilderness of Cherith. God used Cherith to take him from spokesman, spokesman of God, to man of God. And it may just be that that's what God wants to do in your life today. The wilderness isn't comfortable. The wilderness isn't pleasant. The wilderness isn't wanted. But the wilderness can be useful to God when we allow Him to be in control. If you're facing the wilderness right now, I encourage you to endure and to place your trust in God because He may be working in your life in some way you can't fully grasp right now. If you haven't decided to put on Christ in baptism, if you haven't found salvation in the one who came to this earth out of God's love for us, then that opportunity is available today as well. We're gathered here to address needs. We're gathered here to encourage one another we're gathered here to promote Christ. And in whatever way that might need to happen in your life today, we extend this invitation, encouraging you to come during the, the singing of this next song and to make right your life with the Lord. Won't you come while together we stand and sing? And we fall.